Hi guys! Welcome back to our Triple M Podcast. My name's Crystal. I'm Felicia. And today we're going to tell you about Ernest Hemingway. Yes, Ernest Hemingway. I presume he was a novelist. <laughs> you presume correctly. Ooh, brownie points. Yes, I'm so proud of you. Thank you, thank you. I remember, I, I paid attention to English class barely. Yeah, have you ever read anything of his? No. That's a no. (laughs) You know how I feel about reading. Oh, yeah. Me too. Well, I'm super excited to enlighten you about Ernest Hemingway today. Ernest. No, that was Ralph Waldo Emerson. Like, Did he live in the woods by himself? Yes, that was Emerson. No, that was Thoreau. William Thoreau? That was Thoreau. Then what did Emerson do? Why are all these authors famous, but like vague i think i know what all of them did but not right now it's the morning don't ask me complicated questions it is the morning you know it's not the most important thing right now i'm pretty positive it was thorough that went into the woods though because i really like that whole idea did they both go into the woods i don't think so what did emerson do i we don't need to know this now but if y'all want to tell us (laughs) feel free to okay send us a dm or something about (laughs) i feel like i just learned all these things so long ago because i was in gifted classes right so i started learning this stuff in like fifth sixth seventh grade and so now i'm 34 years old i don't remember that information's not here anymore the information got moved out by physics but that's kind of what's exciting about getting to do this podcast is because i get to kind of relearn things and from a totally different adult perspective which gives them even more weight and value right because you can actually understand where they're coming from exactly and i know myself better so i can relate to them more so i really love that but anyway let's get to ernest hemingway Hi guys, welcome to our podcast, Mental Miss and Mysteries. It's alright, it's okay, but you should listen anyway. Hi guys. For the holidays, Triple M is showcasing local artists from around the world, and you can check out our social media page to see art this week from Rachel Greathouse. You can find Rachel on Insta at portraits underscore of underscore ghosts or on her Etsy at Pharaoh Sketches. Support a small business and pick up a custom work from her. Thanks again, Rachel, for sharing your art with us and being a listener. What is up, Fee? Hi. Am I determined to start every single show with that same statement? Yeah, because we start off with hi, but then you're like, what is up? Like, we didn't already acknowledge each other's existences. I feel like I just, it's my good transition into starting talking. Ah. And you're just going to have to deal with it. And so are these listeners. I mean, I can tell you what's up, but like, I don't know if they want to hear what's up. I mean, I know what's up. You have the Rona for like the 45th time. It's my birthday. It's Fee's birthday! I'm old. Happy, happy birthday. Happy, happy birthday. Happy, happy, happy. Happy, happy birthday. Yay. Yay. It's Capricorn season, (laughs) y'all. Double claps for the caps. I know all you other guys out there, all you other December birthday babies, especially y'all near Christmas. I understand your childhood. I know how you feel. It's not fair. And I, I need you to go remind everybody about that every year that it's not fair. <laughs> yeah, um, I still don't have a present for you. They need to treat you with respect. I just, well, really what I should have done was just keep one of your Christmas presents for your birthday. That's what people usually do, <laughs> a.k.a. my parents. <laughs> To the point where they got lazy and like, this is all, this is all the same thing. This is all the same thing. It's not the same thing. (laughs) It's not. We are the most disrespected people out there. It's just, well, the worst thing about it for you is that you're just so close. Like maybe if you were a week or two later, but a few days is a horrible. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not even like out of the Christmas fog yet. No, we haven't to even celebrate hit your New birthday. Year's. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, what? I don't matter. It's okay. <laughs> this has been my life for 25 years. It's fine. <laughs> this is why you are the way you are. But insurance rates go down today. 
Brain Sharks is pretty good. I mean, yeah. I'm just saying. 25. Your prefrontal cortex is starting to develop. Does my prefrontal cortex give me gifts? <laughs> does my prefrontal cortex respect me? Yes, actually, it does. And it also gives you the gifts of lowering your inhibition or raising your inhibitions and lowering your impulsivity. I'm a very impulsive person. Yeah. So uh, welcome not. to adulthood, <laughs> essentially. What kind of impulses do I have? I feel like 25 is like the level of adult. Well, we could go into that. But do you want me to publicly psychoanalyze you over the Internet, which people are listening on? Not today. Not Maybe today. like next week. Another time? Yeah. Maybe you could be my test run first interview. Oof. No? You're good on that? I'm good on that. We could talk about your mental disorders that you haven't officially been diagnosed with yet. Like how there's multiple. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> it's not. Just this just, morning you told me you were on the spectrum, so. <laughs> that was last night, and yeah, I still believe that. I believe I wasn't properly diagnosed as a child, okay? Yeah, I agree with that. I think you're just a potato, and potato's gonna potate. You know what I'm saying? Potatoes, y'all, we went to the mall yesterday, and there was this, like, kiosk food thing, and it was literally just all potatoes. That reminds me of the french fry place we saw in the mall. Wait, that's what you were talking about, That's wasn't exactly it? what I was talking about. <laughs> it was called Something Something Potatoes, and I was like... This is my home. But yeah. like none of the nothing there looked appetizing. Really? There was and at the fair they have these or I don't know if they have them here but like in North Carolina at the fair we had this. It was a uh, tater tot food truck. Mm. And he just made tater tots in different ways. I had poutine tater tots. Oh, that sounds delicious. It was so good. Mm. I love french fries and gravy. Right? French fries and any kind of gravy. Brown gravy. White gravy. White gravy. Turkey gravy. Yo mama's gravy. Mushroom gravy. <laughs> Dude, what's that thing? Because the Hawaiians have that too, that local. They have like, they eat french fries with gravy too. The Hawaiians do? Yeah. Well, that sounds good. Yeah. Do they make spam fries and gravy? That sounds like a lot. <laughs> That's a lot of different flavors. I'll, spam is good. Fries are good. Gravy is good. But spam fries and gravy feels like it's too strong. Like two bites and you're done. Yeah, that sounds way too intense. Spam fries and gravy. I do like masubi, though. Masubi goes so hard. I think it's good because the rice kind of offsets the strong spam flavor. Right. All that sodium goes to the rice. I wonder if Ernest Hemingway enjoyed spam. I don't think he enjoyed anything. I'm <laughs> you, sorry, I just saw a picture of his know. face. I'm like, he doesn't look like he enjoyed life. He looks like a great model right there. He looks like somebody's hot Santa. I mean, he was a Nobel Prize winner, so. For being happy? Yeah, for being a hot Santa. Hot Santa. Yeah. He looks like those older guys with the gray hair and all the model pictures that you know. Oh, uh, I just wait. He looked like an old man. Like he do be looking like an old. <laughs> <laughs> no. He does look older. Yes. He is he looks... alive still? No. no. Like no way. He is dead, and I will tell you how he died. I am incredibly excited to do this one. Why? And I'm going to tell you why, because okay. I read some quotes from Ernest Hemingway earlier today. So I'm going to start with some quotes from him. But man is not made for defeat. A man can be destroyed, but not defeated. Do you agree with that? I guess because we keep going, right? So that means we're ultimately not defeated. We're ultimately not defeated because we keep going, but we're destroyed in the process. I don't know which is worse. <laughs> the destroying <laughs> I feel like the destroying like you're completely destroyed but I guess I keep going <laughs> it's just a flesh wound I really love this next one because um, I like to write I plan on writing some things and uh, writing a couple of books before I die and she has uh, to write a book before February you guys <laughs> that's what I'm being told by my production manager here Potato Fee uh, it we'll doesn't see. have to be perfect. It just has to be written. And then we'll go over to perfecting it. Well, I think I'm going to draw from my new knowledge of Hemingway to maybe get this done. Because he says a lot of things about how to start writing, which is something that I struggle with. And most people with ADHD struggle with because of the lack of executive functioning. It's not that we can't get things done. It's the process of starting them. Yeah, which, the process of life is hard. Like... 
Yeah, well, it's just because we look at things and it's so overwhelming because our brains don't have that ability to organize it and see the end product before we start. And so because of that lack. You don't see the big picture? Well, you just like you look at a messy room, right? And you can't see what the room would look like clean in your mind. And actually, I got a really good understanding of this a few weeks ago when we were all sitting down here with Lexi and we were trying to figure out what to eat. And people with ADHD have a hard time making decisions, too, because there's too many possibilities. And so our mind cannot calm all those possibilities down to come to a conclusion a lot of times. So one of the things that she told me was she was like, what do you see your picture yourself sitting here eating, watching TV? What do you see in your hand? What do you see yourself eating? And I was like almost able to instantly make the decision once she said that to me. And then she explained to me that her brain works like that all the time, which is why she's so good at organizing and cleaning. She can just look at a room, see the destruction and like be able to visualize what it's going to look like done. And so then she works backwards to build a path to get to that end result. But people with ADHD don't have that. So we're sitting here looking at the room and we're like, we, I mean, we kind of have an idea, right? Like, I know I want my room to be clean and want it to be clean. But, like, like the actual process of seeing the steps and how to get it done is much harder for my brain to, like, figure out. So, anyway, um, when it comes to, like, writing, if I can't figure out how to write, then I can't... I mean, I'm sorry, not figure out how to write. If I don't just, like, force myself to take that first step to write something then I'm not ever going to complete it. And it's really just that first step that's like the hardest piece to do. And I think there's like almost this mental block that happens where I can't execute it. And so there's some really great quotes that Hemingway talks about, about kind of how he starts his writing process. So um, the next one is, there is nothing to writing. All you do is sit down at a typewriter and bleed which I really love because I think that's beautiful. The world breaks everyone and afterwards some are strong at the broken places, which I feel like has also happened to me a lot in life. Just some. <laughs> just some. I mean, because the some, rest they are not as lucky. Well, I just think some people choose to like, you know, victimize and not try to become stronger from it. You know what I mean? There is nothing noble in being superior to your fellow man. True nobility is being superior to your former self. I think true nobility comes in both forms. You can be superior to your former self and your fellow man. (laughs) (laughs) How very Capricorn of you. (laughs) You can be both. (laughs) Um, Courage is grace under pressure. Courage, the cowardly dog. (laughs) And you were going to say something stupid. That's why I paused. It's gr- courage is grace under pressure. That's an interesting quote. I like it. You want to analyze it further? I don't want to solely the quote by analyzing well, it. Further. I guess what I don't understand about this quote is why is it grace? Why is it grace? Like, of all words that you could choose, courage is grace under pressure. Like, I mean, if you're giving yourself grace, that makes sense then. Are you being graceful? Are you showing grace by being courageous? I mean, not always. It depends on the situation. But I think if you're showing yourself grace and giving your that gives you the power to be courageous. I forgot you can be nice to yourself. I forgot that's an yeah, option. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Actually, I think my quote is better. So I'm going to replace it with showing yourself grace gives yourself permission to be courageous. That's too many frills. I, I like it. I knew you were going to say that also. It's <laughs> a short and to the point. You know, you have to analyze it, but like, I only have to listen to like four words. So as someone who grew up um, gifted, I've never had a formal IQ test, um, but someone who grew up gifted and pretty much my entire life was involved in gifted things and things for people of higher intelligence. Um, his next quote is actually my fav- favorite um happiness is in happiness in intelligent people is the rarest thing i know all i heard and i hear this every time i hear the word happiness mm-hmm. i just hear penis i know i'm terrible such a potato <laughs> the word happiness i'm like happiness but yes oh, i don't know a lot of happy smart people 
are happy people who understand. The more you understand, the sadder life is because you understand what could be better and how. Yeah. And just see that no one's working towards that because of. Well, for me personally, you know, being neurodivergent and what they call twice exceptional, which is gifted and also ADHD. um, Happiness is hard for me to find, I feel like, because I feel so isolated from the rest of the world because I feel so different. And I know that a lot of people struggle with feeling different, but I mean, truly, you know, there's such a small percentage of people that are like me. I really am different in a lot of ways. And so I think it's a combination of that and the awareness, like you said, just knowing certain things. And, um, you know, I struggle to like find things that I can talk about with people. Small talk is hard for me. Um, talking about the weather or basic things is hard for me. And then when I go, How are you a southerner? You can't do small talk. I mean, I can do it. I can do it, but I can only do it for a limited amount of time. You can't, you can't, uh, that small talk go for an hour. Like, there's this one moment that I really remember when I was participating in uh, my church internship. And this group of girls all got together, which I think is another reason that I've always been friends with boys rather than girls. But uh, girls do a lot of small talking. You know, it's kind of like a social thing to build each other up and act like you're interested. You know, you got to act like you're interested in the other person. And it's good for the self-esteem of the other. You care about other people being happy. Yeah. So they're all in a group. Right. And this was like first when when eyelashes were first getting popular, I think. And so they stood in this group and I'm standing there part of it i think i eventually had to just walk away but they're standing in this group and they're like talking about mascara or eyelashes for like half an hour and like i can talk to you about mascara and eyelashes makeup's great but i can only do it for like five minutes right so like to have this whole small talk conversation is rough on me and then when i want to talk about the things i want to talk about most people are pretty disinterested like um you know epigenetics (laughs) (laughs) right Ernest Hemingway epigenetics is like one of my favorite topics to talk about but you know you go on a tangent about that and other people are like you gotta find the right people you're with the wrong girls that's what it is well that's the thing is that you have to be around other people that are neurodivergent usually now when I get around a group of my MBTI friends then we can talk about that stuff all day long but it doesn't matter because those you know, I have to seek out those people online. It's not that I'm surrounded by a lot of those people all of the time. So anyway, this quote also, you know, lends me to like my other favorite quote, which is that ignorance is bliss. And I truly believe that because kind of goes along the same lines of everything I was thinking of. So I mean, look how happy children are. Like young children. Yeah. They don't know shit. Yeah, they're just they don't. And they're not aware of a lot of the social things that make me feel isolated from other people. So so thank you Hemingway for um, making me feel like we are one together if we win here we will win everywhere the world is a fine place and worth the fighting for and I hate very much to leave it I so feel that he is like my soul brother I'm like this place can burn I don't give a shit (laughs) gang gang (laughs) outer space you're such a gen (laughs) seer Take me to Mars, Elon. Take me to Mars. I don't want to go to Mars. I'm just like, if Earth burns, I'm like, that's it, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I don't want to die. Like, I never want to die, ever. And I I think a lot of people don't want to die, but, like, I don't want to die because it's, like, scary or death is scary to me, which is the reason most people don't want to die. Like, I don't want to die because I love living. Like, I love the world and all of the experiences and all of the people and all of the connections. And it just seems so sad to me that that has to end at some point. I think if we all went together, though, I'll be okay with it. Yeah, I mean, if if I believed in an afterlife, I think. Not even that. Like, if we all, if the earth was destroyed right now, we all here together. I'm like, yeah. that's it, you know? I don't get to miss any experiences. Everybody's going down with me. Yeah, exactly. If we win here. Oh, I just read that one. Mm-hmm. Okay. There is no friend as loyal as a book. I don't have many book friends. You or friends, friends in general. So <laughs> I Okay, so I totally feel this, actually. Um, because in my isolation from the other people in the world and my feeling differentness, I turn to books a lot. And um, that kind of works the same for me with certain shows, like the King and Queen show I've been obsessively watching. 
because the people and the characters in the book kind of become my friends and um, i kind of feel really connected to them that's how i feel about youtubers yeah exactly and that's probably why a lot of gen z is really into that so so here's the last one the best way to find out if you can trust somebody is to trust them Ooh, that's hard he must have really matured to get to that right like i feel some real maturation i'm over here like you can't trust a whole gender of people you know yeah. who you are i mean i feel it i feel it hemingway <laughs> that's a beautiful quote and i think it's accurate and um it's probably my greatest challenge in life is trusting people it's hard trusting people because you start off with the ability to trust people and then those people it. crush yeah. it destroy it spit it out beat it up and then you're like how can i trust people because i felt like you were someone i could trust mm-hmm. and i knew you and now i have to put my trust in somebody i don't know yet like yeah that's hard and we develop these and i'm particularly bad at this we develop this series of um, connections and models in our minds and so we put everything everybody through those filters and models of our past experiences and so we make assumptions or uh, quick judgments about who they are Isn't before like, we really even give them the chance to have that trust an evolutionary thing though it's a part of our survival skills as humans to be able to analyze people like yeah. that oh yeah most definitely but that doesn't mean we're always right no and we can kind of like kick 95%. ourselves in the back for that yeah <laughs> All right. So Ernest Hemingway was born 1899 and died in 1961. Oh, he lived long. And I'm going to read information about him. And guess what website is from? Oh, my God. Is it biography.com? It is. How do you keep getting the ones from biography.com? And I'll be like, okay, so this website was... It's one of those like early 1990s pixels <laughs> with the <a> bad animation. <laughs> I think it's because I pick like um, certain culturally popular people, maybe. I and I know. go off the deep end. Um, I also, when I Google to look for my articles, I type so and so's biography. I type the word biography. Oh no! And so no, then what no, no. <laughs> like, causes it to come up? I'm and like, then I usually am like reviewing different articles, and I'm like, okay, which one of these am I really interested in? You know, doing commentary on. And biography.com just lays it out because they give you the early life, and it's beautiful. I would love to speak to someone at biography.com. <laughs> All right, so. Nobel Prize winner Ernest Hemingway is seen as one of the great American 20th century novelists and is known for works like A Farewell to Arms and The Old Man in the Sea. Oh, by the way, this um, article was written on April 27th, 2017 and updated on February 28th, 2020. What time? It doesn't have the time. Mm. Mm. Marvy.com, slip in. <laughs> so who was Ernest Hemingway? Ernest Hemingway served in Walt why do I have such time with world? It's not you. World is just your word you can't pronounce. Yeah. We all have our words. Maybe I need to come to your speech therapy sessions. Ernest Hemingway served in World War One. You know what? I think it was the WWs back to back. My brain was already anticipating screwing it up. Well, okay. <laughs> Off topic, but WWW has more syllables than World Wide Web. But yet, that's the short inversion. <laughs> I love that. What a nerdy fact. That's great. (laughs) And he worked in journalism before publishing his story collection in our time. He was renowned for novels like The Sun Also Rises, A Farewell to Arms, For Whom the Bell Tolls, thank you, Metallica, and The Old Man and the Sea. (laughs) Have you read any of these? Um, A Farewell to Arms sounds really familiar i feel like maybe i probably read some excerpts from it the old man in the sea sounds familiar for whom the bell tolls is obviously a very popular metallica song um it is yeah for whom the bell tolls time marches on i don't know that song and i like metallica you don't like Metallica? i do (laughs) oh they're like one of my favorites i'm gonna be really mad if that's not a metallica song but i'm pretty positive all right so I don't think I've read them fully, no. But I probably will now. I feel like, sorry, because I feel like we there's a lot of novelists who we just read excerpts from in yeah. school, but we're like missing out on their whole The whole work. thing, yeah. So The Old Man in the Sea won the Pulitzer Prize in 1953. In 1954, Hemingway won the Nobel Prize. 
He committed suicide on July 2nd, 1961 in Ketchum, Idaho. Oh, he lived in 1966. Mm, 1961. Oh. Yep. Why Idaho? That's where he lived. That's probably why. It's not great there. I mean, it's pretty there, though. Is it? Yeah, there's lots of streams and... Potatoes. Yeah. Racist people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's great. All of those things. I mean, no offense to Idaho. You're just not top 50 <laughs> in the States. So early life and career. Ernest Miller Hemingway was born on July 21st, 1899 in Cicero, now in Oak Park, Illinois. Clarence and Grace Hemingway raised their son in this conservative suburb of Chicago. But the family also spent a great deal of time in northern Michigan, where they had a cabin. It was there that the future sportsmen learned to hunt, fish, and appreciate the outdoors. Another reason to live in Idaho. Can you imagine having a cabin? Like, your family has a house, but then your family has a cabin. Oh, my family will have a cabin, so I can't imagine it. You can't imagine? But could you imagine growing up like that? We're actually, we're going to call it the Christmas cabin, and I'm going to decorate it. And Christmas decor that's going to stay up year-round and put it on that's the RBO saving, when we're not there. Saving time on Christmas decor. Exactly. Genius, I know. You need Thank an you. Easter cabin. Mm-hmm. No, I'm good on that. In high school, Hemingway worked on his school newspaper, Trapeze and Tabula, writing primarily about sports. Interesting. Immediately after graduation, the budding journalist went to work for the Kansas City Star, gaining experience that would later influence his distinctively stripped-down prose style. He once said, On the star, you were forced to learn to write a simple declarative sentence. This is useful to anyone. Newspaper work will not harm a young writer and could help him if he gets out of it in time. All right. So young writers look into newspaper work. Your school newspaper, your school blog. Just mm-hmm. don't stay in it is what he's saying. Don't get caught don't up stay in, in the right. loop. <laughs> in 1918, Hemingway went overseas to serve in World War I as an ambulance driver in the Italian Army. For his service, he was awarded the Italian Silver Medal of Bravery, but soon sustained injuries that landed him in hospital in Milan. Wasn't Italy a part of the... Um there's the Axis powers, and then there was the other ones. Weren't they with Germany and Japan? I'm not really sure, but I'm severely confused about how he ended up being an ambulance driver in the Italian army when he was American. Right. <laughs> but also, I'm pretty sure Italy, Russia, Germany, and Japan were on the same side. Maybe. I don't know. There he met a nurse named Agnes von Kurowski, who soon accepted his proposal of marriage, but later left him for another man. This devastated the young writer, but provided fodder for his works, a very short story, and more famously, a farewell to arms. Still nursing his injury and recovering from the brutalities of war at the young age of 20, he returned to the United States and spent time in northern Michigan before taking a job at the Toronto Star. It was in Chicago that Hemingway met Hadley Richardson, the woman who would become his first wife. The couple married and quickly moved to Paris, where Hemingway worked as a foreign correspondent for the star. In Paris, it's so nice that he's just been around everywhere. He's like, mm, I'm in Chicago. I'm in Milan. I'm so no, not over that he might be a Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> uh-uh. Access powers. In Paris, Hemingway soon became a key part of what Gertrude Stein would famously call the lost generation. With Stein as his mentor, Hemingway made the acquaintance of many of the great writers and artists of his generation, such as F. Scott Fitzgerald, Ezra Pound, Pablo Picasso, and James Joyce. Why did they name Pablo as a great writer? You remember he wrote that uh, about that wet bread smell? Was that Picasso? Yes. <laughs> that urine bread. Yeah, I can't remember if that was him, but okay. it wasn't Van Gogh. I don't mean Van Gogh wrote it all. It was oh, okay. Picasso. I think I yeah, probably. In 1923, Hemingway and Hadley had a son, John Hadley Nicanor Hemingway. By this time, the writer had also begun frequenting the famous festival of San Fermin in Pamplona, Spain. In 1925, the couple, joining a group of British and American expatriates, took a trip to the festival that would later provide the basis of Hemingway's first novel, The Sun Also Rises. The novel is widely considered Hemingway's greatest work, artfully examining the post-war disillusionment of his generation. Soon after the publication of The Sun Also Rises, 
Hemingway and Hadley divorced, due in part to his affair with a woman named Pauline Pfeiffer, who would become Hemingway's second wife shortly after his divorce from Hadley was finalized. Are we ever going to read about a famous male? I knew this was coming. <laughs> who that didn't, didn't have cheat an affair on his wife? Probably not. <laughs> the author continued to work on his book of short stories, Men Without Women. Ooh, those are that sounds interesting. I gotta check those out. Because as a man who was cheating on his wife, she probably was, you know, rolling up, breaking shit. He's like, this bitch is crazy for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> right. Soon, Pauline became pregnant, and the couple decided to move back to America. After the birth of their son, Patrick Hemingway, in 1928, they settled in Key West, Florida, but summered in Wyoming. They summered. Don't you want to summer? That's what I'm saying. I'm like, <laughs> you don't hear this a lot coming from, like, the black community over your cabin summer homes. And yeah, that's, I don't know. Your family kind of came from a family that had summer homes. Yeah, so. okay. I just realized that when I said it. We don't talk about privilege. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about your privilege for a minute. <laughs> Christian schoolgirl. During this time, Hemingway finished his celebrated World War I novel, A Farewell to Arms, securing his lasting place in the literary canon. When he wasn't writing, Hemingway spent much of the 1930s chasing adventure, big game hunting in Africa, bullfighting in Spain, and deep sea fishing in Florida. While reporting on the Spanish Civil War in 1937, Hemingway met a fellow war correspondent named Martha Gellhorn, soon to become wife number three. Oh my God, he cheated on both his wives? And gathered material for his next novel, For Whom the Bell Tolls, which would eventually be nominated for the Pulitzer Prize. Almost predictably, his marriage to Pfeiffer deteriorated and the couple divorced. Gellhorn and Hemingway married soon after and purchased a farm near Havana, Cuba, which would serve as their winter residence. Wow. Uh, is land cheap in Cuba? Maybe we should get a farm in Cuba. You know, they're opening up. It's know. nice. I like Cuba. You've been there? I've been there in my dream. I've done in your dreams? No, I used to... Love, I used to be obsessed with Cuba in high school, so I did a lot of research on it. Ooh, tell us one fun fact about Cuba before I go on. So, they're a communist country, and one of the things they do is they subsidize different things for the um, residents of Cuba. So, if you don't have a car, you need to get a work. They have a service where somebody will just take you to work. Like, they'll have car services there where you can mm. go to work, and that's a part of, like, being a resident there. Oh, that's interesting. Like... I'm sorry, I'm very obsessed. <laughs> yeah, clearly. I said one fact, Fifi, control yourself. When the United States entered World War II in 1941, Hemingway served as a correspondent and was present at several of the war's key moments, including the D-Day landing. Toward the end of the war, Hemingway met another war correspondent, Mary Welsh, whom he would later marry after divorcing Gellhorn. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I don't know if he's my sole brother anymore. <laughs> Here's the deal. I always start out like this. I'm like, this guy sounds really great. I love and him. Then, and then like, I read about his like 14 wives later yeah. and I don't like him anymore. <laughs> I think it's just don't get married. Yeah, Damn. I agree with that. I often tell people that actually. In 1951, Hemingway wrote The Old Man in the Sea, which would become perhaps his most famous book, finally winning him the Pulitzer Prize he had long been denied. Now we're going to talk about his personal struggles and suicide. The author continued his forays into Africa and sustained several injuries during his adventures, even surviving multiple plane crashes. You think he had any uh, TBIs? Uh, I think he might have. In 1954, he won the Nobel Prize in Literature. Even at this peak of his literary career, though, the burly Hemingway's body and mind were beginning to betray him. Recovering from various old injuries in Cuba, Hemingway suffered from depression and was treated for numerous conditions such as high blood pressure and liver disease. He wrote A Movable Feast, a memoir of his years in Paris, and retired permanently to Idaho. There he continued to battle with deteriorating mental and physical health. Early on the morning of July 2, 1961, Hemingway committed suicide in his Ketchum home. Right now we'll talk about his legacy, and then I have another article. I'm going to go a little bit deeper into some of his mental health struggles. Hemingway left behind an impressive body of work and an iconic style that still influences writers today. His personality and constant pursuit of adventure loomed almost as large as his creative talent. When asked by George Plimpton about the function of his art, Hemingway proved once again to be a master of the one true sentence. 
Multiple wives? <laughs> from things that have happened and from things as they exist and from all things that you know and all things you cannot know, you make something through your invention that is not a representation, but a whole new thing truer than anything true and alive, and you make it alive. And if you make it well enough, you make it immortality. That was a mouthful. I feel like I need to I read was, it again. He, I did not comprehend any of that. <laughs> All right. So the question was um, the, about the function of his art. He asked him about the function of his art. And he said, from things that have happened and from things as they exist and from all things that you know and all those you cannot know. So basically his whole life, all of his experiences. Mm -hmm. You make something through your invention that is not a representation of all those things, I guess. But a whole new thing truer than anything true and alive. And you make it alive. And if you make it well enough, you give it immortality. So he's saying that I have a legacy that I left off because I did this thing really, really greatly because I put my heart and soul into it. I think that's what he's saying. Yes. Okay, he could have just said and, that. And, and the thing that he makes doesn't just become a representation of all of the things he experienced in life, but it becomes a thing in and of itself. Right, it's its own experience. That is immortal. And it becomes more alive and more true than all of his life experiences. Because that long quote he gave us, I did not have the attention span for it. <laughs> no, which is why I had to break it down. <laughs> I was like, what? Um... In August of 2018, a 62-year-old short story by Hemingway, A Room on the Garden Side, was published for the first time in The Strand magazine, set in Paris shortly after the liberation of the city from Nazi forces in 1944. The story was one of five composed by the writer in 1956 about his World War II experiences. It became the second story from the series to earn posthumous publication following Black Ass at the Crossroads. Black ass? <laughs> black ass at the crossroads. I, I, for, what? Hey, black ass, why you not show me your ass earlier, eh? You obviously don't know that quote. No, no, I don't. <laughs> it's one of my favorite quotes from the most famous movie Dave Chappelle ever starred in. What? Do you know what the movie is? No. It's about marijuana. Yeah, I don't, I didn't watch that. Oh my God, I love that movie. Anyway, <laughs> I guess he like goes into this Asian store, right? And yeah. like the Asian people that own the store sell weed and the store is just like their front. You know what I mean? And Yo, so he goes you into think this- Asians sell good weed? I mean, I don't know. I, I think it's an interesting concept that Asians would sell weed at all, personally. Right. But, <laughs> but if they did, do you think it would be the best? I, I mean, maybe. I, I'm afraid it might be opium laced. <laughs> So he like goes into the store and everything is like covered in dust, like all the products on the shelves, because like it's not an actual store. <laughs> and so he's like trying to get the guy at the counter to sell him some weed and the guy like won't do it. He's like, I don't recognize you, whatever. So he turns around, he pulls his pants down and he moons the guy. And then he's like, oh, black ass. Why you not show me your ass earlier? Eh? And he's like, OK, now I'll sell you some weed because I know who you are. Oh, black ass. Oh, black ass. <laughs> I wonder if he got that from Hemingway. <laughs> oh, black ass. Well, they said it's just released. This was a, post a posthumous thing. Post yeah. Okay. No, I mean, I wonder if um, Dave Chappelle got it from him. That's what I mean. When was it released? I just read it. You got to make me it read it again. It said 2018. Oh, that's right. That's okay. what I was saying. Yeah, that was past that movie time. You're I tell right. you, okay. I'd be paying attention. She don't believe me. You do be paying attention to what you want to pay attention to. Dates. <laughs> I pay attention to dates, times. All right, so the next article I'm going to touch on is from PBS.org. It was written by Dr. Howard Markle on July 21st of 2020 at 3.40 p.m. Mr. Doctor, Mr. Doctor. Mr. Doctor Markle. Why at 3.40 p.m.? Oh, my goodness. We are not analyzing that right now. <laughs> July 61 brought a sudden end to Ernest Hemingway's storied life. He and his wife, Mary, were setting into a new home on the banks of the Bigwood River in the Sawtooth Mountains of Ketchum, Idaho, better known as the Ski Paradise of Sun Valley. Now you know why he lived in Idaho. I still think He Idaho. lived at the Sawtooth Mountains in Ski Paradise. How do you move from nice Havana, Cuba 
to he lived Idaho. everywhere though it wasn't just cuba <laughs> i know but like how do you go from like oh nice weather nice weather to like oh there's no one here well i'm about to tell you okay tell me they had fled their longtime estate in cuba shortly after the batista regime was toppled by fidel castro Oh, good old Fidel. Is he oh, still alive? Fidel Castro's dead, right? Yes, I'm pretty sure he's dead. Like, All of Hemingway's family was expected to visit Ketchum at the end of the month to celebrate his 62nd birthday on July 21st. But on a Sunday morning, July 2nd, 19 days short of Heming's birthday, the famed writer awoke early in a discombobulated and distressed mood. He left his bedroom and descended into the basement of his new home. Described by the New York Times as a modern concrete house where he unlocked his gun cabinet and grabbed his favorite shotgun and some ammunition. He climbed back up the stairs, walked across the living room, and stopped in the house's oak-paneled entryway. The rest is literary history and part of a fantasy's legacy of pain. His wife recalled being awakened to the sound of a couple drawers banging shut. She went downstairs to ascertain the cause of the racket, only to find a crumpled papa on the floor. When the time ran its obituary of Hemingway on the front page of its July 3rd, 1961 issue, Mary Hemingway's statement on her husband's death was clear, concise, but misleading. Mr. Hemingway accidentally killed himself while cleaning a gun this morning at 7.30 a.m. No time has been set for the funeral services, which will be private. For decades, the myth of an accidental death dominated the biographical accounts of his life. Hemingway was well-versed in the handling of guns and rifles. He received his first shotgun from his father when he was only 10. He famously wrote about his exploits on the battlefields of World War I and the Spanish Civil War, as well as his hunting trips in places as diverse as Walloon Lake near Potesky, Michigan, to big game safaris in Africa. Why was he in the Spanish Revolution? If this fact wasn't enough to raise an eyebrow about his death being accidental, there was also the issue of his father's death in 1928. I cannot answer all of these questions for you. I know, but like, I need answers. Why? Why? How is an American in the Spanish Revolution? I don't know. A dip- well, he lived in Spain, so he probably just joined. Just be joining shit? He'd just be joining shit. It's writing material. The more experiences you have, the more you have to write about. That makes it worse. (laughs) I feel like if you're doing something to gain experience for, like, your own, like, it kind of... I doubt that was the reason. Okay. Just, like, interested in experiencing life. I mean, I'm the same way. I would probably do it. A depressed and diabetic Dr. Clarence Hemingway fatally shot himself at age 57. So this is his dad. Mm -hmm. The doctor, a general practitioner, used an old 32 Smith & Wesson revolver owned by his father... At the time, Hemingway wrote to his then-mother-in-law, Mary Pfeiffer, I'll probably go the same way. In his 1940 novel, For Whom the Bell Tolls, the main character's father commits suicide with the same rifle his father had used during the Civil War. In 1961, mental health remained poorly understood, stigmatizing and rarely discussed in most American families, including the Hemingways. Hence, no one could fathom why the most successful writer of the day, a winner of both the Pulitzer Prize and Nobel Prize, would kill himself. The backstory, however, is far more inconclusive. Beginning in the late 1950s, Hemingway was working on his memoir of Paris during the 1920s, A Movable Feast. For the first time in his fabled writing career, he was having trouble with writing projects and needed the help of his friend and biographer, A.E. Hotchner. Hemingway often seemed disoriented and confused, which disturbed the macho writer to no end. Hemingway worried about financial security, and even though his novels have never gone out of print and still sell hundreds of thousands of copies each year, in moments that struck Hotchner as paranoid, Hemingway was concerned about being followed by the FBI. Years later, however, Hotchner would learn that his friend had indeed been surveilled since the 1940s. Well, no wonder he's like hopping into wars, moving all over the world. Right, fighting. Has a bunch of money. With the Axis powers. (laughs) Right. In December of 1960, Hemingway was admitted to the Mayo Clinic using a false name. He stayed there for two months under the guise of being treated for hypertension, but was really there for severe clinical depression. He is believed to have undergone electroshock convulsive therapy at least 15 times. 
His psychiatrist, Dr. Howard Rome, gave him a clean bill of health, and the writer was released in January of 1961. So we will also often use ECT. Um, nowadays, they use it for severe, untreatable depression, but we will often use it for people who are experiencing some catatonic psychosis and that we need to bring them out of, which I think I've referenced in a previous show before but the fact that he had to have it 15 times obviously that seems like it wasn't the... indicates that it was an ongoing issue for him right but Hemingway continued his downward spiral his wife Mary found him in April of 1961 holding his shotgun in a self-menacing manner and rushed him first to the Sun Valley Hospital and later to the Mayo Clinic for more ECT during the trip to Rochester Minnesota the plane stopped to refuel in South Dakota on the airfield Hemingway reportedly tried to walk into the propellers which the pilot cut short just in time. Okay, at that point, he's like, every day is the day. <laughs> yeah. I feel kind of bad when I, well, I feel kind of scared when I read stories like this because I see myself in a lot of these people. Mm-hmm. And I'm like really worried that I'm going to experience this level of suicidality when I start to get older. I sure hope not. It might be a mental deterioration thing, too, where you're just like... Yeah, and I don't want that to happen. That's very scary. And if he had liver disease, maybe he was drinking a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, So he returned home on June 30th, 1961, days before his death. We now know that Hemingway suffered from severe depression, paranoid delusions, and bipolar disease exacerbated by a history of alcoholism, severe head injuries, and a genetic disorder of iron metabolism known as hemochromatosis. I don't think he was paranoid if the FBI was actually watching Yeah, exactly. Which can also cause intense fatigue and memory loss. Seven of Hemingway's close family relations died by suicide, including his father, sister, brother, and much later his granddaughter, the supermodel Margot Hemingway. Wow, so there's definitely the strong genetic component, which I've talked about before, is really important to understanding this. He's got several TBIs. He's got a iron disorder, which causes him fatigue and memory loss. So he just constantly feels like he's losing his mind. And for somebody that sounds like they had a lot of control in their life to suddenly be out of control and not be able to control it could only lead you to feel you know so suicidal and that's sad i wonder if there was treatment for his issue in the 60s they tried the ect i mean his blood disorder that was like making him confused and such oh iron deficiency the u.s centers for disease control and prevention reports that suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the united states Mm -hmm. a preventable fate that has been increasing by one to two percent each year that's really scary the CDC's National Center for Health Statistics recently reported that the age-adjusted suicide rate among females increased 55% from 4.0 per 100,000 in 1999 to 6.2 per 100,000 in 2018, while the rate for males increased 28%, from 17.8 to 22.8. Suicide rates were consistently higher for males compared with females over the entire time period. Failure to recognize, discuss, and treat mental health disorders as well as physical maladies that yield severe depression are among the leading culprits behind these suicides. Substance abuse, addiction, and serious life problems such as unemployment, poverty, trauma, and the breakup of families can also lead to suicide. In recent year, Ernest's granddaughter, the actress Mariel Hemingway, has been an advocate for recognizing depression and bipolar disease early, getting treatment for these problems and suicide prevention programs. Fortunately, we live in an era where their mental health illnesses are no longer issues to be ignored or ashamed of, and most of these conditions are treatable. It's also worth recalling the title of Hemingway's best novel, which he began on his birthday, July 21, 1925. The sun also rises. For once treatment begins, a new day can be restored. I always like how people put that we live in an era now where it's not, what is it? As stigmatized? Yeah. Yeah. Although it's still pretty stigmatized. It's it's still pretty I mean, we definitely have a lot more access to resources. And one of those resources I want to mention is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. If you feel like you're struggling, you can give that number a call. 1-800-273-8255. Someone will be available to talk to you, give you some resources. And also, if you feel like you're struggling or you feel like someone else is struggling or you just want to talk about it it's okay to talk about it 
it's fine. You know, we're all struggling. We are all. I'm struggling. struggling. Fifi's struggling. We're all struggling. It's a constant work in process. It's a daily thing. Struggle gang. And I think had his delusional aspects of his disorder not intervened, you know, that I'm sure the TBI and the TBIs and then the blood disorder causing confusion and, and memory loss, you know, were enough to keep him from being able to really gather his self that morning that he awoke. Um, and it seemed to just be kind of getting worse because right before he came home, he had tried to walk through the propellers. But, um, you know, it's a daily thing. You got to wake up. You got to give yourself grace every day, every morning. You got to understand that these things are not the result of your own personal failures or faults. It's genetic makeup. There are brain scans to prove that there are differences in the brains of people who struggle with certain things like this. But you still have great and amazing things to offer the world. I mean, he's a Pulitzer Prize winner. He's an amazing writer. He said some really profound things that were very thought-provoking and helpful to people over the course of his lifetime. He made some mistakes, but he also was, you know, just a great person um, for the world. And you can do the same. So I really hope that if you've been struggling through the holidays... Maybe you feel um, a little more connected with Hemingway, um, but they don't end up suffering the same fate as him. And much love to his family for working hard to bring out some suicide awareness and to the doctor who wrote this article, who made sure to include some of that education at the end. That was really great. Mm -hmm. So I enjoyed learning about Hemingway. What about you? You want my honest opinion? Yes. Oh, he was all right. He was all right. Like <laughs> As any man with four wives, you know, he was okay. <laughs> All right. Well, if you're struggling with some mental health, please reach out so you don't end up on our show. Bye, guys. Bye. Hey, it's Crystal here. Just uh, giving our social media a little shout out. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook at Mental Myths and Mysteries, on Instagram at Mental Mysteries, on Twitter at Mental Myths and Mysteries. And most recently, we have gotten our backlog of videos up on YouTube. So if you don't subscribe to any podcast hosts, we'd love for you to like and subscribe and share our videos from YouTube. And if you're just interested in chatting with us, sending us an email, sending us a mayhem story, we'd love to hear from you our email address as is triple mcast at gmail.com that's t-r-i-p-l-e-m-c-a-s-t at gmail.com have a great new year